My name is Jim Jensen. I'm with the Washington State University Energy Program based in Olympia. We're an independent part of the university. But we provide lots of consulting services to public agencies, state agencies, utilities. And in our case, I operate or manage our green transportation program for Washington State. We provide technical assistance and education to all the public fleets in Washington, including local governments, tribal nations, school districts, transit agencies, and others. Speakers to help you understand these topics. I'm from the World Resources Institute Electric School Bus Initiative at WRI. We have a global network of more than 1,400 experts working across the world. We have worked on e-mobility and transportation initiatives in the U.S. and the world, helping cities around the world electrify their bus systems, driving an equitable transition to ESBs in the U.S. I'm Brittany Barrett. I'm the Deputy Director at the World Resources Institute's Electric School Bus Initiative, which aims to partner with schools and communities across the country to create unstoppable momentum towards electrifying the entire U.S. fleet of school buses. The first electric school bus hit the road in 2014, so we're actually coming up on a 10-year anniversary of that. And now with the launch of the Clean School Bus Program, we have actually reached over 5,600 buses ordered or in operation in the U.S., committed in 49 states and five territories. We've seen some school districts do this in as little as 11 months. And this is definitely a project, especially the drivers and the mechanics involved in the visioning process can help ensure that you don't encounter roadblocks later on. You need to begin working with your utility from the very beginning. The charging infrastructure piece of this seems to be the most complicated and time consuming. So start on it even before you've purchased the buses. I have spoken to many school districts that are concerned their mechanics won't be able to work on these buses. And while the mechanics gain new skills on the high voltage parts, there is plenty that your existing workforce can still work on. We've been seeing a fairly standard eight-year battery warranty offered from most OEMs. From what we have seen working with school districts on a route analysis for charging, the majority of routes can actually be served by an ESB with the existing battery capacity available on the market today and a level two charger. So the bus could do a morning and an afternoon run with no need to top off in the middle of the day, given how many miles and the operating conditions. Some routes would need to charge in the middle of the day to complete an afternoon run. And sometimes a direct current fast charge, TCFC level three, all the same thing, would be required because of time constraints. As part of the training process, you should include first responders and towing companies there have been very few bus fires and there have been no electric school bus fires as of September of last year. And bus fires, including for school buses, account for only 1% of all vehicle fires in 2021, none of which involved an electric school bus. I know there is a shortage of school bus drivers nationwide. ESVs are a great recruitment tool because they are quieter, they don't have the diesel smell, and they drive really well. We have folks from four different districts in Washington. John Griffith, from the Walla Walla Public Schools, Keith Simplosky from Lake Quinault, Tony Silver from the Union Gap School District, 
and Annette Weisner from Valley and Loon Lake School Districts. They have a shared transportation program. My name's Annette Weisner. I'm the transportation supervisor for Valley, Loon Lake, Summit Valley, and Evergreen School Districts. We're located in Stevens County, about 45 to 50 miles north of Spokane. And Loon Lake and Valley were the recipients of the Department of Ecology grants and we received our international buses in July and we turned them loose on the first days of school and it's been quite an opportunity. What did you do to decide a bus would work for you in this situation or another situation? Did you have to change your operations in any way or were you focused on doing the same job with the same type of bus? We did a route analysis with our power company, Avista Utilities. They came in and looked at every one of our routes, the terrain that they were going on, and they ran through kind of all of the data from the major bus providers and manufacturers. And that is how we came to our decision to of which buses to get. We opted for the third battery with the internationals. And we did put ours on our longest routes and the utility company helped us do that. They planned out for summer and winter to account for the heat and whatnot. They went through all routes for both of our districts that received the buses. And there was one route in the winter time that it would not be able to accommodate based on the mileage. But all of the rest of ours, the third battery made a huge difference for us. What's it been like working with Avista and how early in the process did you contact them? We contacted Avista even before the grant awards were announced, just to be sure before we went too far that this was even a possibility for us. Our facility is right along Highway 395. So we knew that there was, you know, adequate power coming to the area, but we weren't sure about the property. So we met with them straight from the beginning and they went through and determined exactly what was going to need to be done. They had their electric vehicle engineer. There's been a lot of speculation around price per kilowatt hour for batteries, you know, coming down and what the actual capacity of the vehicles can be. Bluebird announced a new model just earlier this year, and I don't think there was a significant increase in the battery capacity. I think there's trade-offs on the weight of the batteries and the efficiency. I don't have any crystal ball information into what we're seeing with OEMs, except that we do see continuous improvement there. IC offers a bus with a a range of about 210 miles, but there's nothing definitive that I've seen. Prices for battery technology have come down dramatically. So in the last decade, from somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000 per kilowatt hour, they're now down to 200 or less. We have seen companies like First Student with over a million miles of electric bus operation and Bluebird just announced they delivered their 1500th bus in Modesto, California. 
So there are a lot of miles on these buses. Any kind of bus can have kinks to work out. You know, they save a lot of money on brakes because of the regenerative braking. That's an additional cost savings there that we've heard. There's so much less in the preventative maintenance that has to be done. So it's great for scheduling their workforce. Federal funding can be stacked with other state or private grants. That is definitely allowed. EPA is on its third round of the Clean School Bus Program. It's a rebate again. They've been alternating between rebate and grant opportunities. There's $5 billion total, so we are not even at half of that that has been dispersed just yet. About the direct pay credit, the IRS still has not officially released guidance on this yet. We're waiting for it, but there's something called uh, 45W. School districts, even though they do not necessarily file taxes, are eligible for a $40,000 credit for their electric school buses, even if they used a grant to pay 100% of the cost of it. So even if it costs the school district $0, you can still file and get an additional $40,000 direct pay back to you if you've gotten this bus. And then there's another one that could potentially allow a school district to get up to $100,000 for the charging infrastructure. Again, the guidance hasn't been released on that, and it's only for school districts in certain areas, but they haven't defined those areas for us yet. There are other opportunities out there that can be paired or used to offset other costs. My name is Keith Samposky. I'm the superintendent of the Lake Quinault School District. We're a very rural school district with K-12. We have 201 kids. Our district is kind of long. It's 30 miles north, and then we go 25 miles south. We applied and received two Department of Ecology grants. We were over the 95% free and reduced, so we were able to get them for free. I was getting nervous even applying again because there's a lot to it about parent groups and all this. And I'll tell you, just relax on that. If I can do it with our staff here, any school district, anywhere could handle this. We ended up buying a micro bird for our preschool the first time. And then the next round of grants, we did a full-size bluebird. We got one of those slow chargers for the micro bird and then a fast charger for the bigger bus. The slow charger we found out for the micro bird doesn't charge it enough. We can't really do the lunch run on one charge. So we have to do a diesel bus in between there, but we're trying to get it converted over to the fast charging thing, which I guess is fairly simple. They'll be able to get charged perfect. But definitely the infrastructure is the most important part of this whole process. Get on it and make sure you know what you want to do as soon as possible. Trust me, if we can do it, anyone can do it. John Griffith, Walla Walla Public Schools. I'm the transportation director here. We received a Department of Ecology grant. We received three buses. I got a lot of help from a lot of different places. We actually put in enough infrastructure for about 12 buses. We only have three right now, so the next ones coming on will be less expensive. We chose the Thomas bus with the power electronics chargers, the level three. We try not to run our buses below half a charge, so that does require some midday charging at times. And in the evening, our chargers are cascading. So first come, first serve gets the first charge. And then after it's fully charged, it cascades to the next bus in line. And there's two buses per charger. We've experienced really no major problems. We've come across some training and driver error type stuff. And we got ours last May. We received our first one last May. And so we ran it till the end of school. And we got the second one during summer school and the third one right at the end of summer school. So 
We are now running all three on route, and we're able to make it a whole day with a full charge. Things are going pretty good. My name's Randall Farley. I'm the manager of electric transportation at Avista. So we've been active in education and outreach with school districts for over a year. This really kind of started with some of the grant opportunities from the state of Washington and federal government that we became aware of. Primarily, we reached out to area school districts, opportunity to let them know that Avista's here to help them evaluate their routes in a fairly technical way and make good decisions about what routes might be best to begin to electrify and help them in applying for the grant, designing charging infrastructure that's right size and cost effective and allows for future expansion, et cetera. So really just there to try to help make it low hassle and low cost for the school district. And it's been a little over a year and the VL transport story is a great one. There's some other school districts in the region that have also gotten some school buses and then quite a few more now that are in the process of applying for grants or contemplating grants. It's always good when you're looking at fleet electrification evaluations to get in touch with your local utility sooner the better. In the case of with the Vista, we look to help our customers, not just school districts, but also commercial customers and other public organizations looking to electrify their fleets of various types to evaluate what really makes sense and can be cost effective. And what we find is in many cases, if you're coming into this new, it's pretty daunting. And a lot of times folks are being sold on charging requirements that are far in excess of what they really need. So we can help them to evaluate and figure out tailored solutions that really make more sense. And in the case of our customers or dedicated fleets, we've got a time use rate available for electric vehicle charging for commercial that helps get the charging to happen more off-peak, which benefits all customers. That helps us to basically minimize upgrades on the career that might be necessary, especially as this thing scales up over time, but also to help the customer save more money because the costs are greatly reduced. If you're charging off-peak, it's much more affordable, and demand charges, which are often a barrier to adoption, are eliminated in that, in that special rate. So it's a great benefit, but it requires separate service. Well, I think there's really a lot of great opportunity right now Except for routes and trip distances greater than 200 miles on a single charge, there's a lot of buses out there now that are readily available that can drive that far. You've got dedicated charging, and you've got 10 or more hours to charge. You can do so with what we call AC Level 2, which is pretty low-cost charging, under 20 kilowatts. You don't need a DC fast charger. And I think increasingly in the future, there'll be charging available in route or visiting schools. And so even longer distances will be more and more feasible as that kind of proves itself out. But I think there's a lot of opportunity now. We're actively monitoring technologies and looking to evaluate and demonstrate new technologies as it makes sense. But the tech is here now to make sense to begin to electrify school buses, and it's only going to get better, I think, in the future. So it's not so much a matter of being too concerned about certain technologies becoming obsolete. So, for example, the charging infrastructure that we're putting in, that'll be used and useful for many, many, many years. It won't become obsolete. We're quite confident of that. One interesting and, I think, exciting possibility in the future that we're looking at now is possibly piloting using electric school buses as backup power for schools in the event of an extended outage or local emergency. Schools are often used as a community shelter and for vehicle-to-grid benefits. So electric school buses are kind of unique in that regard that they've got oftentimes fixed routes and in the summertime aren't used that often. And those batteries might be quite useful to the grid itself. And this is already being experimented with, large experiments actually in a couple different parts of the country. And 
So we're monitoring that perhaps in the next couple of years. It might make sense to pilot a similar activity here in garbage. In general, driving electric is going to result in much lower operating costs, both in terms of the fuel. It's basically a dollar gallon equivalent, if you will, but also in maintenance. And if you're able to charge off-peak, which generally means after about 8 p.m. in the evening year-round until about 3 in the afternoon year-round. In the winter, we do have a morning peak period, some of the colder winter months. But generally, in the case of the electric school buses, they're able to charge off-peak almost entirely. And with our time of use rate, they get a reduced energy charge for those hours. And if they were to charge on-peak, they would pay a higher premium then. And so it's a different rate structure than our traditional rates that include a demand charge, which often in the case for electric vehicles, high-power charging is a bit problematic in terms of the monthly bills. So we've really got kind of a win-win situation here to get as much charging off peak that benefits everybody. For the specific operator, they get a lower monthly bill like charging off peak as well. Long term, with additional beneficial load, if you will, from electric transportation, that should help with overall affordability. Long term, better utilization of our existing assets means that the fixed costs of the utility are better covered. And that can help us to minimize rate increases over time. There are some investments in charging infrastructure that will be needed in the early market here that will take some time to pay off, but our models indicate a negligible impact on rates. Overall, it's a big win. This isn't just about electric school buses. This is really, for a commercial business, if you're moving people or things using vehicles currently powered by petroleum, increasingly it's more viable to do so with electric transport. And so take a look at our website, myinvista.com transportation. We've got a lot of great information there. Got some advanced fleet tools. Can really help you through to begin to electrify. And then give us a call or shoot us an email. We're here to help. My name is Annette Weisner, and I am the transportation supervisor at VL Transport Center. We are a cooperative transportation that covers the Valley School District, Loon Lake School District, Summit Valley School District, and Evergreen School District. I have been a secretary here for a couple of years prior to being the supervisor this year. Getting in contact with your utilities, if you can do a DC fast charging system straight from the beginning, I would definitely recommend that. It was a very long process from start to finish, and before we even applied for the grant, we looked at our facility, contacted the utilities. They said, yes, this is absolutely doable. So then we applied for the grant, wanting to look at other resources for other than the traditional diesel fuel buses and gasoline buses that we had at that time. So just going through that process with Department of Ecology, with Avista, and looking at is it going to be feasible for us to apply for these? And we did, and both districts were granted the award, and we moved on from there. Loon Lake School District and Valley School District both have all of their transportation ran out of the VL Transport Center on 395 and Bulldog Creek Road, and both of those districts were granted the Department of Ecology electric bus. For the Department of Ecology grants that we received for both Valley School District and Loon Lake School District, there's a point system to those that apply for it. And if you have a higher poverty level, you have a free and reduced lunch program based on the amount or percentage of your students that qualify would gain you higher points in the Department of Ecology's grant process. 
recently we have had some lower than normal temperatures in the morning. There was one morning it was 11 degrees and I was actually riding on the bus and it was a little colder than traditional diesel bus, but still manageable. We have noticed a bit more of our battery life being used up by the heaters. So moving into winter, we do have diesel buses on standby. We have one that I have dedicated to being the substitute bus for the electric bus routes. So I have a plan moving forward that one of our electric buses, if needed, would use the diesel bus in the morning and then the other one would use it in the afternoon because that short amount of time midday that they have time to charge, we may not get enough charge to finish that route. So we're looking at potentially upgrading our charging system to a DC fast charging system that would help us with that, of getting those buses to 100% before they leave for their route. We have noticed a remarkable change in behavior of kids that are riding the electric buses. And if you've ever ridden on a traditional diesel bus, you know that it tends to be loud. And so talking to your neighbor, you elevate your voice. And children tend to get frustrated if people don't hear them and they have to repeat it. Or someone gets mad because maybe they didn't hear what little Bobby said, you know. And so we have noticed that with the lower volume of the bus, they're not yelling, behaviors are better, and we have had less bus referrals on our electric buses this year than we have in the past on those two exact routes with the same children. I've heard other people talk about it. I've attended a ton of meetings from people all over the country that have had electric buses for a few years, and that was things that they mentioned. And they said, oh, just wait until you see it. And I was skeptical, but now I'm witnessing it, and so it's kind of making everyone's lives a little easier. We do have mechanics in our shop. They are not certified to work on the electrical components that make the bus go. So the manufacturers have made it very easy for us. They have put bright orange on everything that a mechanic in a facility such as ours should not touch. So if it's encased in bright orange, that is for the RWC group mechanics in Spokane. That's what they would work on. And the technician from Spokane happens to live in Clayton. And so that has been helpful for us. He says, oh, you know what? I will just go ahead and come on up. It's been wonderful. With us, we purchased international buses. And in fact, our two international buses were the first two electric internationals in the state of Washington. And Navistar is the manufacturer of them. When they went through and they put the decals on the outside of them, there was a big holdup because Washington law and OSPI state that all decals on school buses must be two inches high or greater, two inches tall. And these were one and three quarter inches. And so those decals had to be changed out before the buses would be allowed on the road. It is just small things that caused delays but now they have gone through and got all of that approved and our buses were delivered before the school year started, which is what we wanted. So just very, very small things that may cause delays and just anticipate for those. You know, make sure that you have a diesel backup if need be or another form of transportation to get your kids to and from school in the event there's a delay or something has that bus down or it's 10 degrees below zero and you just didn't quite get enough charge to get those kids where they need to go. 
My name is Molly Stiller. I'm the Air Pollution Reduction Grant Section Manager in the Air Quality Program at Department of Ecology. I helped develop and then will help manage the grants that are awarded from this grant program. So this is a grant program for level two charging stations. So these are charging stations that support electric vehicles. And our goal for this program is really to make it as accessible as possible and to spread the funds across Washington state, across sort of the geographies of the state as much as we could. So we tried to limit the barriers to application by making the application pretty short and sweet. We ask for only the information that we need. And we've also included incentives for for overburdened communities or rural communities or those that may not have readily accessible EV charging in their communities. Any entity that's eligible to do business in Washington can apply. So that could be a local business within the community. It could be a library, a bookstore. It could be a government entity, private entities, nonprofits. Really, the only group that's not eligible is an individual. So this is not open for individuals to apply for their home, but a workplace, anything like that is eligible. We're really prioritizing locations, either rural locations or overburdened communities or locations that don't already have significant access to charging in their community. And so our scoring criteria, which are all available on our website, we tried to keep it very transparent. Our scoring criteria kind of follow those priorities. In terms of who's allowed to apply, we do have caps per county. So for King County, 20% of the funds are eligible to be awarded in King County. And then for Pearson Snohomish, it's 15%. For all other counties in the state, we don't have a county cap. And our goal with the county caps really, like I said, is to spread the funds around rather than having one county that comes in and applies for all of the funds or have projects within that county that apply for all of the funds. We're really trying to make sure that we get some geographic diversity in where the dollars are going. So we don't have different award amounts based on application type or based on where you are, anything like that. What we're offering is up to $10,000 per plug. And we have a minimum of four plugs and a maximum of 10. Depending on the use case, we do have some limits within that. So for any project that is publicly accessible, we can pay up to 80% of the project costs or that $10,000 limit. For non-public locations, so if you're a condo association or perhaps an apartment building and the chargers are only going to be accessible to tenants of that building, the limit is 60% of project costs up to $10,000 per plug. And then we do have some criteria for reduced match. So if an applicant is a tribal government and if they are considered an overburdened community, and we have some definitions of what that means, then applicants can be eligible for 100% of their project costs to be covered by the grant. We heard from a lot of folks in previous grant rounds that there are organizations and situations where even providing 10 or 20% of the project could really be a burden. And our goal, like I said, with these funds is really to make them as accessible as possible and get charging stations out to really benefit and be usable for communities. And so that's why we built in that reduced match. So I would encourage folks to take a look at that, see if they're eligible and if they're interested in that when they apply, because it's a great opportunity to get 100% of project costs covered if they're eligible. And a really important part of the application process is making sure that applicants have contacted and are in touch with their utility. So we, Ecology, as the grant awarder, we're not working with the utility for these projects. We are requiring that grantees work directly with their utility 
And so we we do have some language and some guidelines for our program that helps and encourages grantees to talk with their utility very early on so they can get a good sense of what the power requirements at their site are, what their needs are going to be, and then ultimately what their costs for the project will be as well. The grants are open. We actually don't evaluate any grants until the end of the application period. And then we evaluate all of the grants. We score and rank them based on the criteria posted on our website. So we encourage everyone and anyone who is looking to get charging stations in their community to apply. The other thing that I'll mention is we've structured the grant in sort of a phased approach. So there's about three and a half million dollars available in total, but we've broken that up into multiple application rounds. So in the first round of applications, we have $1 million available. And but the approach is so that folks that aren't quite ready for their project today in this round, they know that there will be future rounds where they can apply again. So we're encouraging folks to really look at where they are in the planning process. And if they're ready to go, we would like to encourage everybody eligible to put in an application and get in the process before the application closes on November. 16th. If there are groups or businesses that are thinking about it, but maybe they haven't talked to their utility yet, they don't have a good sense of their costs, we would encourage them to actually wait for a subsequent round and kind of get all of their paperwork and their planning in order to be ready to go when the application opens in the future. We don't have dates announced yet, but we are hoping for multiple rounds each year. So we would expect something around the first half of 2024. 